Hi, and welcome to The Piece of Persistence, the show where we seek to uncover the keys to happiness and success, one honest conversation at a time. I'm your host, Abigail Wright, and today I get to introduce you to my dear friend, Charity Tilleman Dick. Hi. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming, Charity. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Oh, you're so sweet. And Charity and I met uh, back in 2000. 2008 2008 I think it was in uh, Tel Aviv where we both sang in Little Women and it was so wonderful Charity's a soprano and a top-selling billboard classical artist she studied music at the Peabody Institute at Johns Hopkins University and the Franz Liszt Academy of Music in Budapest Hungary where she was a Fulbright scholar Charity has performed across the United States, Europe, and Asia with noted conductors and musicians, as well as for numerous presidents, prime ministers, members of Congress, and world dignitaries. After receiving a diagnosis of idiopathic pulmonary arterial hypertension in 2004, Charity served as the national spokesperson for the Pulmonary Hypertension Association, or the PHA, working to raise awareness increase federal research funding, expand stem cell research, and promote preventative and alternative medicine. In September 2009, she received a double lung transplant at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. After complications from rejection, she received a second double lung transplant in January 2012. And I have to say, I'm really glad you're still here, Charity. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I am too. Since receiving her transplant, Charity has shared her amazing story and vocal talents at numerous conferences and events around the country. Charity was named a Glamour Hero in October 2005, and she's been featured on CBS This Morning, CNN with Dr. Sanjay Gupta, TED.com, The Huffington Post, The Washington Post, and BBC Radio. Her performances have been broadcast around the world. Raised in Denver, Colorado with 11 brothers and sisters, she currently resides with her husband in Washington, D.C. Charity, again, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. I'm just, I'm so happy to catch up with you. Oh, well, the feeling is very mutual. I kind of want to start at the beginning. I'm not sure I've really heard the whole story about this. So tell me about your upbringing. You have 11 brothers and sisters. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I I do. And um, it was a wonderful way to grow up. My parents were extremely counterculture in whatever culture they were in. So they were both very progressive. My mom grew up in San Francisco in the 60s, and my dad grew up in Aspen, Colorado um, in the, at the same time. They both ended up at school together where they fought, fell in love and decided to get married. They also both became Mormons, and that was before my mom found out she was Jewish. Oh. Um, and when she did find out she was Jewish, uh, but, you know, my, my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, but they brought us up to the sort of integrated religious identity. So we were like Mormon and Jewish and progressive, and we grew up in like, at that point, it was like Denver's little barrio, like everyone who lived there was, um, they either had been in Colorado forever, like before Colorado was part of the United States and their genealogy goes way, way back. Um, Or they were um, recent immigrants who had either married an American citizen or who who had come here for, um, for work or family or for some reason. And, um, and so like, we were the only white kids on the block, which is always fun. And, um, and, uh, you know, it was just, it was, it was a, 
great way to, to grow up. Like we were, my, my parents were always about 30 years ahead of their time. So we were eating quinoa. I remember the first time dad brought it home when I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe six. And we didn't know, they, they didn't know how to cook it very well back then. So I never really liked it. And when it became a thing, I was like, oh no, not quinoa. <laughs> but, um, but um, I've, I've, I've since learned to prepare it well, so it's fine. But um, <laughs> my dad was an inventor and uh, and my mom, my mom homeschooled all of us. Oh, wow. It was also a very musical household. We all grew up singing together. I was in my first choir when I was three. And, um, and my and then I, I went into a professional children's choir when I was eight. Um, and we traveled all over the world. And I went to my first opera when I was five. And like, for me, that was kind of it. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew that was what I wanted to do one day. Um, and I had a, I had a bit of a romance with politics. And um, I thought I'd be a lawyer. Um, so I, my first degrees in politics and economics. Um, but then I, I got a scholarship to go to the List Academy of Music in Budapest, and um, I came back to the States first for, I was going to take some time off, and I was going to serve a religious mission. And um, they had to do a medical exam during, like, before you left, and during that medical exam, my doctor realized I had idiopathic pulmonary hypertension and I didn't just have idiopathic pulmonary hypertension I had a very advanced case it was a stage four case at that point wow was it something from which you've suffered since since birth and you just didn't know it or you know looking back um like I could always sprint but I could never run long distances like I remember when I was 10 climbing up a mountain for um for this choir camp that we that we did every year and and I remember climbing up those hills and just feeling like I was going to faint and that that is one of the the symptoms of pulmonary hypertension uh, and we weren't a particularly athletic family and so um so it would it, it's it's a very hard disease to catch um, because it's, everything is invisible. You look fine, but your lungs aren't absorbing oxygen properly. Um, so I, I might've had it for a long time, but since it's the idiopathic variety, my doctors don't really know, but, um, but yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Wow. I mean, I, and I know you've been working to raise awareness. So could you tell us a little more about the disorder and how it's affected you? It's very difficult for the lungs to absorb oxygen, which makes the right side of your heart um, work really hard. I always say that I, I had the reverse Grinch effect. My, my heart was three and a half times too big. Um, mm. And so that symptom of the right side of the heart working hard leads to heart failure. Mm -hmm. So people usually die of, of a heart attack when they're very young, when they have pulmonary hypertension. It can be a primary condition, uh, which is very rare. There are only a few thousand cases of that in the country. But as a secondary condition, it's quite common. Um, and from it, it can come from anything from pregnancy to STDs. Wow. It affects a, a large range of, of people. And the search for a cure is is long and arduous, but there's some people doing some really good work right now, which I'm excited about, uh, as is the rest of the community. Including you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and how has your recovery been as a singer? I know you've continued to sing professionally using the gift you have as a soprano. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. I, I Before the transplants, because... 
so I was diagnosed in 2004 and then in 2009 I had my first transplant um, before the transplants I did a lot um, I did full operas. Um, now I do a lot more concert work. And it's just because of germs and because of limitations with medications and things like that. But vocally, I'm doing really well. I just, it's funny because I had a, I had another recent health challenge, which was awful. But the one good thing is, <laughs> is that it opened up the bottom of my voice. Oh. I'm a, a kind of a full dramatic coloratura. Wow. Um, my problem was that the bottom end of my voice had never had never really opened up and that's happened really just in the last six eight months so it's interesting you know a voice a voice is it should be like a fine wine it should get better with age and I'm, I'm happy to say that I think that's happened wow that's amazing do, do you think that the breathing that you that we develop as singers has helped you at all with your illness Oh, definitely. I, I don't think I would have relearned to breathe without the vocal training that I had. I was on a ventilator for a really long time and it was just so hard to get off of that ventilator until one of my old directors called my mom and she said, Annette, just tell Charity to remember her training, mm. tell her she needs to, to breathe from her gut. And my mom told me that. And I was like, Charity, what have you been doing these last two months? Like, you know how to do this. And within a few days, I was off the ventilator. And um, so my my vocal training was invaluable in that process. That's wonderful. And you're, I mean, you've been through so many trials and struggles. You just mentioned you've been through another recent one. Do you think you'd have been a very different person without them? And would you have cha- would you change any of them if you could? You know, you, you never know what your life would have been if it was changed. So I met my husband uh, because I was in Baltimore, because I, I didn't go on my, my mission. If I would have gone on my mission, it is unlikely I would have met him. And he is just one of the most wonderful things in my life. All, all of the events in our lives lead to other things, whether we're aware of them or not. And there's been, uh, I, I've had a very challenging life, um, but it's also been very happy. And, and so I don't spend too much time thinking about what I would change. I, I am quite confident that I would have passed on the cancer, which I've dealt with in the last year, Mm. or the last couple of years. I think think that would be something that I would give back. I know most people are like, I would never give back that experience. And I'm like, no, it's okay. I would give (laughs) that in the same breath. I've I've learned a lot and I've grown a lot. And, um, and I've come to understand things that I don't know if I would have had the experience and the time to otherwise. So, so it's hard to say, but I probably that this last round, I probably would have been like, mm, I can do without that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Uh, what skills do you think you've developed as a result of your fight for your health and your fight to raise awareness? Empathy is wonderful, but it's oftentimes the most effective when we've actually experienced something, when we've mm. actually gone through it ourselves. I think I was always a relatively empathetic person, um, but I definitely have become far more empathetic as a result of this experience. I have become less judgmental, and I don't know if that was music school or if that was illness, but I think that has been a positive result of whatever has happened. Illness doesn't really change people. 
you remain the same person. You might look different. You might be able to do different things. If you're a superficial person before illness, you're probably going to be a superficial person after illness. You might gain more empathy. Like maybe it changes people. But I, I think I think our souls are the same. Like sometimes we just change growing up. Um, but sometimes I wonder if it's actually illness that changes us or if it's just the the process and progress of life. I don't know. Hmm. I, I, I don't know if that's a good answer, but um. I think it's a great answer. I, you know, I, I went through an injury not long ago that kind of changed me a bit for about two years. Um, because I was really focusing so much on my energy on healing. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as I started to feel better, it was like all of these parts of me that I had sort of put aside for a couple of years, they all came back. Right. Right. <laughs> and I was like, no, I was so much more peaceful. <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah, you know, that was the one thing that I think was when, when, when I went through cancer uh, during chemo and radiation, I, I moved in with a friend in Ohio and and I just stayed there and I took some time off of writing, which I know I was really fortunate to do. A lot of people have to have to continue their work through illness, which is so hard. And, and I feel really fortunate that I had a friend who was able to help me during that period. But there is this quiet that you're able to experience, which for a time it is a gift. It's like it's like this sad, really hard and physically painful vacation. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I'm glad you're on the other side of it. That, yeah, that me makes too. me really happy. Um, and you mentioned your husband earlier. I'd, I'd like to go back to him. Tell me a little bit about your support system. Um, how when he entered the picture, did all of this make your relationship stronger? Yeah, you know, it's so my husband, I met him I think I met I met him in 2006 on a political campaign where where I was volunteering and he was working. I thought he was the best. I wanted to introduce him to every girl who was more Jewish than I was. Then <laughs> <laughs> and, and he just was like the nicest man. I remember the first time I saw him and I looked into his eyes and they just were like the kindest eyes I'd ever seen and I was like we are going to be friends forever. Oh. <laughs> And I didn't realize because it was not a lustful experience of love, but it definitely was a kind of love at first sight. Mm -hmm. um, and then we fell out of touch. He found me a year and a half later on Facebook. I had been in touch with another fellow who was on the campaign and um, and he was frustrated because I'm I'm kind of impossible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know how singers are. We travel all the time and we're always working and and music is the first love. Like there's nothing that can come in before that, you know? Sure. And so he was, he was venting his frustrations and Yoni was like, wait, you're in touch with her. And he's like, yeah, I've been in touch with her for a long time. And he's like, why am I not in touch with her? And, um, <laughs> and so he went and he found me and this was right before I found out my grandfather had cancer and, oh. um, and then he died very shortly after he, he died within six weeks of diagnosis. Oh, I'm sorry. And my grandma, when I came home, like she just wanted me to marry someone because she got married when she was 19 and my grandfather was her childhood sweetheart. So I went out with all these people. There's this guy I'd been dating on and off for a couple of years because I took some time off of my Fulbright to stay with her. Um, I was there with her for about three weeks. Uh, I went out with Yoni and I still just thought it was platonic. Um, and then we fell in love at a party. It was funny because nothing happened, but something happened. And um, 
And then he called me every day, actually, when we were in Israel together. Um, and we would talk for just hours. <laughs> and um, and then I, I came back and we went out and we had this ridiculous first date. It was so funny. We'd been out a few times before, but I didn't think of them as dates. I thought we were just friends. Uh, but he, he kissed me and it was like the most amazing kiss of my life. And I threw up everywhere. <laughs> Oh no. Everywhere. And it wasn't even like I was drunk. I'm Mormon, so I don't drink. And so I thought that it was going to be like, of course I was mortified, but I also was like, this is an amazing story. This is like the best, worst first date story ever. Little did I know it would get better because we'd actually get married. And he has been incredible. And then my mother is a force of nature. Like that woman, that woman is incredible. And she has brought me to life. You could count it as three or four times now because through, you know, she brought me into the world. And then when I had pH, there was nothing that was there. There was no mountain too high for for her to to climb to to help me. And then during my first transplant and during my second transplant, um, she just she literally could not have done more. And since I've been married, my my husband has sort of stepped into that role. And mm. um, he's been just incredible. Marriage has been a, a really simplifying part of my life. I know people usually say it makes life more complicated. But I have this huge, wonderful, super intense family. And we are really close. And prioritizing relationships was always very challenging for me because I loved and cared about all of them. And at some periods of time, I'm closer to one person than another person, but I love them all equally. And I know that sounds like a like a throwaway phrase, but I really do. I love all of my siblings and my my parents so much. And when I got married, it was like, oh, this is this is your top guy now, like like this is your priority. And so it really, it simplified my life a lot, which I was grateful for. It was also nice to live with someone, which I'd never, I'd had roommates before, but I'd I'd never lived with someone and had that sort of intimacy. And um, it has been such a a gift in my life. I, um, I know a lot of people are like, why get married? Like, what's like, what's the point? And as someone who thought, I really never thought I'd get married. I wasn't really interested in marriage. There were things that were a lot more important to me. I've, I've always been intensely creative. And I worried that that kind of relationship would get in the way. Um, but but somehow a, a legally binding partnership, it's just a really nice thing to have. Um, and it was something I never anticipated. And it's something that's brought me a great deal of joy. Sounds like he's really fantastic for you. Yeah, he's my match. Of all the adventures you've been on in your life, you're embarking on your first book release and published by Simon & Schuster, no less. It's so exciting. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm um, really excited. I'm happy there's there's this blog for librarians, which is a thing which is exciting but they they named it as their top memoir for the fall and it's gotten great critical acclaim from all of the trade publications which come first and so that's really exciting too I just hope everyone loves it 
a fraction as much as I do because then they're going to love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what's it called? What's it about? And why do you decide to write it? So it's called The Encore and um, a, a memoir in three acts. And it's it's structured like an opera. So it's in acts and scenes. And every scene is preceded by a portion of a libretto that mm. relates to the story. Um, and it's and, and the libretto is in both English and the original language. Um, the audiobook is really fun because they they let me record all of the different excerpts that that are that are listed. And so that's woven throughout the audiobook, which is just gonna be wonderful. That's great. Isn't it exciting? And um, we had a little chamber orchestra that we did it with, and it, it it was it was wonderful. the The audio team at Simon Schuster is just top notch. They were wonderful to work with, and Yamaha. Um, I've 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 worked with them. Gosh, for a long time. It was actually one of their executives who sort of discovered me after after the first transplant, and so I've been working with them for almost a decade now. And we we did it at their studio, which is just a spectacular space in New York. It has such a warm, warm sound, and it's a great place to, to record. We did it there. It's a book about redemption, I think, about love and and about hope, even when everything goes wrong. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan. That's so exciting. I can't wait to read it. When When is it released, and how can we find a copy? So it's released October 3rd, and you can buy it it should be almost everywhere, which is great. It's on Amazon right now. Um, I love IndieBound because it connects you to your local bookstore. And there are so many wonderful little bookstores scattered across this country. Um, you can get it at Barnes & Noble, which is wonderful. And you can get it um, uh, Books A Million. I, I forget. There are all of these different places that you can get it. So yeah, pretty much anywhere, anywhere fine books are sold. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, I understand you're doing some book signings. So no matter when anybody listens to this podcast, how can we find where you'll be next? So um, I, I haven't posted them all yet, but we're going to be in about, I think right now our plan is 10 cities, but they're, they're adding new cities all the time. I think we just added three cities last week. I'll be at the Corner Bookstore in Manhattan on the Upper East Side on October 4th. And then I'll be doing a conversation with Scott Simon on the 5th in Washington, D.C. at the Hill Center, which is right on Pennsylvania, and I think between like 9th and 11th Streets. I'll be at Brookline Booksmith, I think October 13th. I'll be in Baltimore on the 12th of October at the Barnes & Noble there. And that's all I can remember right now. That's fine. Did you say you were going to post it somewhere too? I will. I'll post it on my Facebook page and on Twitter and on my website, which is charitysunshine.com. And on the website, it's really fun. We have uh, we have a few different book club guides. One, and my 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 press team was like, Charity, your book isn't about food. And I was like, I know, but there's so much food in it. And they're like, that is true. I love food a lot. I think it is delicious. <laughs> And I love to cook like my, my seek. I have like a secret life as a state fair enthusiast. And <laughs> I, 
So I have like blue ribbons from a number of state fairs that are put on my kitchen walls. So I do it there because the kitchen is right next to the dining room. So if people come to dinner and they don't like what they're eating, I'm like, it's you. It's not me. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wait, blue blue ribbons and what? For, for oh. like pies or? Sauces. I love sauces. So my salsas always win, like always win. And then my, I have a, there's a Hungarian sauce called lecho, which is wonderful, which I make with uh, a dark ale, um, which is delicious. And it won like the grand prize for sauces at the, at the Denver County Fair. And I thought the Denver County Fair went to the Colorado State Fair, but they're actually not related. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) So, sorry. So there's, so a food guide is going to be going up in a few days on the site, which is really exciting. That's and incredible. Some other guides. So if you guys have book clubs, you can you can go through and see see what's helpful. That not everything is as hard as as lecho. Like there's some things that are really simple. Like I was obsessed with Sprite and crushed ice in the hospital. So diet Sprite with crushed ice or like diet Sprite ices are, are like one of the things in there. And, um, and those are easy. So, <laughs> Oh my goodness. I love it. I can't begin to tell you how much I admire you, like not just because of your will to both survive and thrive, but you know, I've always known you as you are today to be this incredibly positive and life affirming person, but I'm, I'm sure you must have those moments where you feel helpless like anyone else. How do you push past those times? Uh, Those times are really hard. Like they are really hard. And I, I think it's important to let yourself grieve, to let yourself acknowledge, or it's been important for me to let myself grieve and acknowledge my suffering and my loss. I also think it's important at a certain point, even if you don't feel like it, just to get back to life. I remember I finished chemotherapy on May May 16th of last year of 2016 and um in March we got an invitation to do a performance in um in Arizona and I looked like a monster at that point. My oh, no. face was no, I did and I'm not saying it as an as an insult to myself, but like my face was like twice its normal size. I like I was missing most of my eyebrows. I I was my skin was like red and burned. I was not doing Oh, honey, I'm sorry. Well, I was well, it was just really hard. It was really hard. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. And I think that that while we can let ourselves grieve and it's good to give ourselves some time, it's also really important to get back to your life. And it doesn't mean that as soon as you get back to your life that everything is going to be normal. It won't. It won't be normal for a while. Like you won't feel like yourself for a while. And even when you start to feel comfortable in your own skin again, life will be different. You you can't expect it to go back to the way that it was before. This is with death. This is with illness. This is with any of the, you know, sexual violence. Go on through the list. These things, they change. They change the way that we see ourselves and we see the world and the world sees us. But our souls are still the same. It's still the same person deep down in there. And if we go through the motions for long enough, we will find ourselves. And and it will take time. It can take years, 
giving oneself the room both to grieve and the room to experience joy wherever you are is essential. The second thing I would say, even though that was a really long answer already, (laughs) is creativity is essential to true healing. Find whatever it is that makes you feel alive, that makes you feel like you're doing something, like you're adding to yourself and the world around you. You know, if if you're a big reader, read books and and create a, a broader vat of knowledge to, to benefit from for, for yourself and for the rest of the world. If you're into tech, you know, make a website, make an app, make something. If you draw, if you sing, if you make music, if you Go on down the list. If you write, even writing letters, there are things that we can do that we can make that will make us feel whole. And um, and I think that's what we all want. We all want to feel whole. We're all looking for those parts of ourselves that are missing. And I think the only the only way we find that is is when we put beauty out into the world. That's beautiful. Thanks. It's great that you gave yourself the space to really feel exactly what you were going through, like the joy and the grief, and also to embrace that creativity. Do you have any other habits or traits that you would attribute to your overall success and happiness? I think it's really important for all of us to acknowledge the inputs in our success. My parents they literally put everything into their children. You hear stories of these Silicon Valley-esque inventors who make a billion dollars overnight and are crazy successes. That's that's not what happened with my parents. My father was a brilliant inventor, um, but business was hard. Like that wasn't his gift. And both of my parents, instead of investing in their own careers and their own success and their own lives, they invested in us. And even when it meant that we had to do it without a lot of things um, growing up and they invested in our success. And I, I know that that work on their part had an immeasurable impact on what happened later on. Um, my siblings and I, we really love each other. We're also fiercely competitive with one another. And I think that being homeschooled is interesting because you don't have, you don't know what normal is. Does that make sense? Of course. And so I think we were all just constantly working overtime to, to keep up with these imaginary people who were always doing better than we were. And, um, and I think that that desire to just keep up um, since we didn't have a rubric for measurement, that we ended up going a lot further than than we might have otherwise, um, because we didn't, we were never content. Does does that make sense? It does. So you're always pushing yourself. Yeah, and I think that that has remained. Um, I think the third thing, which was a big thing, I had a brother who died when I was five, and um, I'm sorry. Oh well, you know, it, death is just another part of life, and yeah. and then not my grandparents, but their families were killed during the Holocaust. So I think we were all keenly aware there were a lot of people who didn't get to leave their mark, and we were here, so we better make it count. And so I, I think that there was a sense of responsibility to fill the measure of our creation, of our potential that was really important to each of us and and definitely important to me. And yeah, it's funny because I've never really been afraid of dying. I've always been afraid of not living the life that I was meant to live and not filling my potential. Our fears can be channeled into things that are really positive. And I think that everyone has mm. things that we're afraid of. 
And if we can, instead of letting that fear destroy us, if, if we can make it into a creative force, it is intensely powerful. Wow. That is intensely powerful. Right? You mentioned living up to your potential um, a couple of times. Is that how you would define success for yourself? Yeah, I think that's success for anyone. We all have different strengths and different weaknesses. We're not all going to be billionaires. We're not all going to be Beyonce or Renee Fleming. (laughs) But there is something and someone that we're each supposed to be. And those roles are as varied as we are as people, you know, and you find a lot of different people in the world. So there are a lot of different roles to play. Each of our job is to play that role the very best that we can. And and if we do that, we've done our job. And what does happiness mean to you in your life? I count myself as a very happy person. I've never really thought about what exactly that entails. I think it's different for different people. But for me, I think happiness is having a good relationship with myself, with um, with the divine, with my husband and my family. I think that happiness, it's that moment or that experience of knowing the good inside of ourselves. I, I think I think for me, that's what it is. And, and you know, sometimes that happens with funny little things. Mm. I I like to make foodscapes. I remember my husband was out of town one weekend. And my poor husband, I make such big messes. And he always cleans them up. But I, like, take everything out of our cupboards. And I made this wonderful foodscape. Um, I was sort of in an oat phase. I wanted to eat, like, I wanted to just elevate oats all the time. So I made this foodscape. And it said oats. And it was so beautiful. And I was so happy doing it. And I was so happy when it was done. It can be something silly like that, or it can be, you know, a, a culminating moment. I remember I remember my debut at Lincoln Center was this moment where I felt complete mm. and truly deeply happy despite all of the chaos in my life at that moment. And there was a lot of it. Yeah. So I think that awareness of our innate goodness and a sense of being complete, I think those have a lot to do with happiness. You're such a good storyteller. I love the story about the oats. (laughs) I love oats. (laughs) So one of the questions I really like to ask, if there were one thing you would like the world to see differently, what would it be? I think I'd like us all to actually see ourselves. In my faith, we talk about something called divine nature. Uh, I think in sort of secular spiritual culture, they talk about your inner goddess, Mm -hmm. you know. And I feel like if we could see that in ourselves and we could look at other people and, and see that in them too, I just think the world would be a much better place if we could see people for their potential instead of for their packaging. And if we could see ourselves in that way, I think that we would do much more good. This idea of goodness in the scriptures, it says that like no one but God is good. I think on the one hand, that's kind of true. But on the other hand, in most religious traditions, we are sort of the spiritual offspring of like the divine. So we have that in us. And I just wish everyone could see see that goodness, see that divinity, and see that potential for wonder. 
Um, so yeah, that was a really long, kind of convoluted and complicated question that I hope didn't alienate people. No, but, not at um, all. No, it's beautiful to think okay. of, of the concept of, of sort of seeing the divine, not just in ourselves, but in others as well. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, it's our souls that matter. So let's work on our souls a little mm. bit more. Yeah. Charity, do you have any other advice for us? Oh, you know, I'm terrible. I love giving people advice. So <laughs> if you need advice, just come visit my webpage, send me a message, and I will send it to you. My sisters and I used to have an advice column on our blog, which has since become defunct because we were we were all writing too much. We were all writing for a living, and we just couldn't blog and write for a living at the same time. It was exhausting. But um, but we used to have an advice column where we where you could get like five pieces of advice because it was me and my sisters, and we'd all give our our opinion of what what a person should do. And it was great because like you could find whatever you wanted, but I would be happy to give anyone advice. <laughs> Just come. You can do it on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook. Um, I'm, I'm at Charity TV and I will give you whatever advice you want because I always have advice to give. It's probably annoying. <laughs> it's fantastic. So if anybody wants advice, go to CharitySunshine.com, was it? Come to me. Yeah, come to me. I love and it. And you, you can find all the links on, on my website. Oh, Charity, thank you so much. It's been so great to catch up with you. And I'm just so grateful you were willing to share your wisdom and your time with us today. Oh, well, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you all for joining us today on The Piece of Persistence. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute just to share us with a friend or review us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or IMDb. As you know, every share and review or even rating helps new people discover our show. And if you know anyone who's extraordinarily and genuinely happy, like Charity, who's had some success in their lives, if you think they'd be a good fit for our show, please let us know at pieceofpersistence at gmail.com. In the meantime, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join us next next time on the piece of persistence for more great content to help all of us find more happiness and success in our lives but if we forget what really makes us sing and dance at night it's the, the people around and our dreams that lift us up from underground